Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? A comics and Pop Culture Peaceling. This is episode 138, and for a touch over two hours, Graham McMillan and I make with the mouth noises on all things comic book. Topics today include a trio of new releases from Image, Pretty Deadly by Kelly Sue Buconic and Emma Rios, Velvet by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting, and Sex Criminals from Math Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. Other topics we beseech you with include Justice League of America, Crossmanage from Shonen Jump Alpha, The Death of the Family Trade Paperback, The Secret Origin of Tony Stark by Karen Grant, Carlo Pagalayan, and Scott Hanna, The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV Show, Yakutari Japan, Galashin, and so much more. Brief show notes can be found over at SavageCritic.com, and as always, we welcome your comments at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoy, and as always, thank you for listening. Hello! Wow, that was instant and instantaneous. How are you, sir? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, and I think this is actually working. Oh, well, you know, let's let's not, let's not put the uh, problematic car spoon cart before the disasterful horse. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself, uh, sad, which is really sad, because you said that very poorly indeed. So, <laughs> thank, thank you for drawing attention to the fact that I sound like I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> a pleasure, my friend. A pleasure. And what's, it'll be interesting to see if this is actually being recorded in two different sources or not. Hmm. So, ah, Graham McMillan, comics. Who has time for stupid old comics? That's what I have to say. Well, I, I know that you don't, Jeff. I know that you have stayed away from the world of comics this week entirely. You've shunned them. You've pushed them out to the other side of the table and you said, get behind me for color marvels. Not literally marvels, although you probably would. Yes, that is true. That that that, that technically I'm I'm still Marvel free through the month of October, which I just to let people know how far I've extended this. Um, I checked out the Steve Gerber hardcover Guardians of the Galaxy collection out of the library, and I'm not reading that until November. So, wait, was it was it the entire month of October? For some reason, I thought we started this like back in in September. Well, we did, but it was at the end, and so I just figured I'd round it off at the end of the month, you know, because next thing you know, people are like, "What?" So, that's, that's my <laughs> is, that, is that what they're like? What? <laughs> You know, it's kind of a shame. If I wasn't going to get dropped, I would totally spend an entire week on Twitter where just anything anyone tweeted to me, I'd just be like, what? That sounds like uh, that would be so much fun right now. Only if you can have a video of you doing it. Oh, that's true, too. Like, the response to everything is just, like, a link, and people click on it, and it's just a video of you going, what? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I have to say, everything about this plan <laughs> sounds pretty awesome, Graham. Jeff, Lester's uh, follower count drops significantly. Precipitously. <laughs> yeah. Man, that would... All right. Well, anyway. So, how about yourself, Graham? How are you in comics this week? You in comics having, like, a smooth sailing, kissy-face relationship? In comics are having a better relationship than me and, and work, let me tell you. This has been a ridiculously bad week for work. I, I have actually pulled myself back from complaining on Twitter, which is all I've actually wanted to do this week. Oh. <laughs> Just wanted to, like, subtweet everyone, everyone in the world, uh, to do with my work. And I'd be like, no, that's a terrible, terrible idea. Just get the shit done. Uh, and today has been the first day that I've not felt completely crushed by work. Plus, I've been catching up on comics. 
and so I've read things like Velvet and Pretty Deadly and Sex Criminals. Uh, I, you know, really good comics. Oh, okay. Let's do point counterpoint because I read Velvet and uh, Pretty Deadly and Sex Criminals. Uh, I've read all of those. I, and you didn't like them? No, I thought they were okay. I mean, this is the thing. This... Here's the funny. Here's the thing. Yeah. Pretty Deadly. I. Pretty Deadly is the one I'm shakiest on because Pretty Deadly to me looks amazing, gorgeous, and right? the writing is not as good as the art, shall we say? It's interesting, isn't it? It's like I picked it. It's one of those things where I have to give people, uh, and by people I mean the internet, uh, and by the internet I mean promotional people on the internet, some credit because I think I saw like the eight-page preview that they ran on Comics Alliance. And I was like, I have got to get this. Like, it, it looked gorgeous. Oh, it's it, the, the art is amazing. Emrios and Scott, who does the colors for this book? Uh, let me see. Because uh, it's is it is it Belair? Is that who it is? It is. It is. It's Jordi Belair. Um, Belair. Yeah, it is a stunningly good looking book, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it really is. It's super super great. But also in those first. Uh, Eight pages. I thought that there there was a narrative voice in there that was just so bizarre and offbeat. Like I really did love the first couple of pages, where it's like, "Oh, hey, we're we're getting we're getting a story that's going to be narrated by dead animals." I right off the bat, I was like, "Okay, I'm I want this I, to I work think I'm so in. hard." Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I was super super in based on that preview, and then I picked up the book. And so this is just my thing, Graham. Maybe this is the thing that we can do. Is like. Honestly, the the three books here from the you know Portland branch of the Image uh, uh, Mafia uh, were all good. They were all good, and I, I'm I'm glad I got them. But at the same time, they weren't great. And honestly, I felt that way for each of them for different reasons. So that, that's really interesting because I mean, I would say I would say Velvet actually was great. I really, really, really liked Velvet. I, I like I said, Pretty Deadly for me really fell apart with the writing, and it's really interesting that you say you were in based on the eight page uh, mm-hmm. preview, and then <clears throat> the latter part of the book left you cold because that was entirely my experience as well. Uh-huh, okay. I was especially the first couple of pages. I was really drawn in by the strange narrator. Mm-hmm. The, exactly. The, the, it was very like I, you know, I'm not quite sure where this is going, and I feel that as this, the comic went on, it became more normalized for one of a better way. It became more of a traditional narrative, and I feel it became much less interesting as a result. It, I mean, throughout the whole thing, the art kept me going. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, like I was like, I'm going to keep reading just because. Have you seen what this book looks like? This is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I just. By the end of it, I was like, "Yeah, that's really, really great art in service of a story that kind of fell apart a bit." Well, I, you know, there's a there's a few things for for me in particular. I thought I think that it's really uh, kind of not a good idea to start your story with basically two prologues. You know what I mean? And so the first little narrative, strange narrative loop with the bunny and the butterfly, I'm like, okay, I'm down. And then the second part, the second prologue where essentially the entertainers come to town and unscroll the, um, the narrative, you know, the, the backstory, larger narrative thing in prose, no less wait, prose, no in, uh, lyric poetry, I guess. For for the telling the back for telling of the story of Death's daughter, I was like, okay, like how do I put it? Like 
we're t- like you're too far out. You know what I mean? For me, I was like, okay, I'm way too separated from these characters. Like, I think if there'd just been one, like, and this is hopefully this is constructive criticism as opposed to just be- me being Mister Complainy. And then additionally, a lot of the way that the issue gets its juice is kind of from taking our expectations of kind of what we're get trying to get set up and having them spin on their um you know spun upside down but almost technically kind of arbitrary like it felt it felt a little arbitrary for me like i don't know were you know there's no i i i can totally see that i think there is uh it kind of spins out of control Mm mm-hmm you know what I mean? Like, it's funny. Did you read the the text piece at the back? I did read the text piece at the back. Uh, there's something in the text piece at the back that, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but this is definitely the feeling I caught from it. Uh, where Kelly Sudikonik essentially says, "Like, uh, I was really making this up as I was going along. Like, I started this not knowing where I was going, and the story emerged as I was writing." Right. Um, and that seems very like that was to me was like oh that makes a lot of sense reading the comic mm-hmm. like ha- no having read the comic that completely underscores everything i felt about it which is that there's a process of discovery for her as a writer going through it right but it's just that what she settles on for me is so much less interesting than what she started off with right. i i actually really liked the the two prologues uh and i yeah. felt much more engaged with them than i did with the story at, by the time of the end of the issue well i think you know, I, yes. I was like it's it's stranger and it's more unexpected and as a result I was more engaged I, I feel the one, what it turns into mm-hmm. is you know uh, uh, a relatively straightforward western like a western in the now traditional it's the wild west but grittier than you think <laughs> like you know what I mean like these days you don't have westerns you right. have the wild west is shit and everyone is dirty and a bastard right. the end and it's, it fits very much into that for me Yes. Whereas the start of the book is much more uh, magical realist. And yes, right. I'd suggest there's going to be more to the comic than I think there ended up being. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I guess for me, the problem is sort of... Uh, is It made me think of uh, Jodorowsky's comics a lot, which I think mm-hmm. is, is actually could be a... Uh, compliment, you know, under the right circumstances. Or also uh, manga, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, manga that starts off being westerns and you know, but then it throws, you know like, blind gunmen and, you know, people using swords and leaping hundreds of feet through the air. Sure. And and I thought and all of that I think was actually fine. My problem with it was that the problem with the two prologues, uh, for me, was just simply the case of by the end of the first issue, I wasn't really even sure if we had met the character that the prologues are ostensibly about or not, you know? Exactly. Are, are we in a third prologue that's just going to last a couple of issues? <laughs> right. Exactly. And so I kind of had that feeling of, oh, wait, 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 I should be emotionally invested in these guys? Like, no, wait, okay, and they're being hunted by bad guys. No, 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 wait, I'm, I have to be emotionally invested in those guys, too. Okay, then, wait, you know? And so I really thought that there was... There are times where the sort of um, heavily imagistic uh, narrative story, I think, can work very, very well. Uh, I But I really got the sense that it was kind of... Um, how do I put it? The Because I think what you're... 
when you're saying the rest of the story was conventional, I mean, honestly, if you look at it and look what's in it, it's really fucking weird. The problem is, is that it's told like, it's told like a conventional narrative. You know? Yeah, what I mean? sorry, that, that's what I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I mean, I, I mean, the the start, the start, the first. I mean, it's only the first what four pages or something. Right. Are so, um unconventionally comic narrative if yeah, that makes sense exactly like the the words and the images uh, are acting against each other as much as anything mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so by the time you get to the end i don't know it's just it's it's all become less interesting to me and like you said like i had no emotional connection to any of the characters yeah yeah exactly and in fact i was kind of annoyed that it was sort of like still wasn't even necessarily clear like am I supposed to be I I guess I'm supposed to be these characters are in peril which suggests that I'm supposed to be you know emotionally connected to those characters and and other things like oh this character is a small girl I'm clearly supposed to you know the the your usual narrative hooks are like I'm supposed to feel sympathy slash empathy concern for that person yeah this this child could not defend herself therefore she is the character I'm supposed to feel sorry for slash wants to be okay by the end of the story right but because of enough of the other reversals in the second half of the book that were done in sort of a much more conventional way I kind of felt like okay maybe that's not supposed to be the case maybe there's more jumps coming and it really was a um it was it was weird it was definitely like the wrong way to sort of start off a story where you're sort of doing that um narrative investment bait and switch before people are really sure who they're supposed to be invested in or who they are so it was mm-hmm. kind of a fascinating i mean to me the jump between pretty deadly and velvet is a really fascinating comparison because I feel that because um, there were a lot of times with Velvet is actually to me a really good example of stuff um, where I felt like things that I had bitched about like in Sex Criminals number one I wasn't really even sure that I was necessarily that down with all the, the narrative hopping around you know what I mean it sort of felt like a well, here's how we jam all the story in kind of thing, you know, which is mm-hmm. an even weirder, you know, because it's a story about time travel. It's not a story about time travel. It's a story about time stopping. And so, yeah. therefore, I felt like the the narrative um, loop-de-loops m- 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 sort of muddied the waters a little bit. And one of the things that I did like a lot about Velvet is everything that Brubaker and Epting are doing it's not you can just tell it's i mean it's not just that you can tell it's for a reason by the end by the time you get to the end of the first issue you're pretty sure you know why it's done the way that it's done you know what I mean? yeah velvet feels a much more deliberate book than Mm -hmm. pretty deadly and and than sex criminals although like if there was a spectrum Mm -hmm. it would be uh pretty deadly sex criminals velvet for me yeah because yeah. at least the second issue of Sex Criminals, I feel, was much more focused than the first issue of Pretty Deadly. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, but, but Velvet is much more deliberate and much more controlled, mm-hmm. which uh, which I really enjoyed, but also which feels much more appropriate for A, the story, and B, the character. Right. Exactly. And I think that's also that kind of weird thing. I think one of the things that sort of... Uh, vexed me about Pretty Deadly is when I first saw the first eight-page preview, I was like, oh, I can I can see how this could work. Like, 
I could see how it's going to work, and if it works, it's going to work in a in a very daring way. And the first eight pages really had me thinking, like, okay, this is how it's going to happen. And then it was kind of like, uh, whatever for whatever reasons, it changed up. And one of the things about Velvet is is that yeah, everything, whether it's the fact that that Brubaker's telling a spy narrative, the fact that he's telling a narrative about you know unsurprisingly about characters with secrets that perfectly suits the idea of telling a spy narrative um <clears throat> you know and also i think there's something that is uh smartly set because because he is um hearkening back to a, a you know sort of that golden age of like espionage tv shows and where you know secrets agencies and secret agents were kind of everywhere those things thanks to i guess the bond movies they had like really episodic structures in them anyway you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i thought that he came up with a great way to sort of have a set piece then change the reasons why we were looking at it then change that again then throw in another set piece and just and and that all it all clicked it all suited the type of narrative and the setting and like you said and the character so it was great. It was interesting, though, that for uh, my only problem, well, my only problem, it was all terrific, I think, up until, for me, kind of the last scene kind of went a little... Uh, you mean the fight sequence or the fact that she just happens to be there when yeah. the, the authority has arrived? Yeah, a- a- and that it's sort of like, oh, and I'm falling into his perfect trap or something. I was like, okay, what you know what I mean? Like that was kind of this weird. Like at first, it's like she knows about the safe house. Nobody does, and, and I think she even might even mention that it's one of several. So it just all like the, the only problem that I had was is that there was some sort of uh, not just that it was coincidence. I think even as I was kind of going like, oh, not the coincidence of showing up while there's still someone in the apartment, but also the like, oh, but no, there's a whole force who's waiting to bust her, and she's the person who's, you know, and they, they even how they set it up, like, it just, it just, that was the only part where it was kind of, it didn't work for me, and the other thing that's really funny about, uh, I think, a lot of Brubaker's comics for me is, is that he works at such a for me, I have high expectations of him, so when there is stuff that sort of gets um, tumbled up, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, maybe that's me being unnecessarily um, harsh, but I'm just like, eh, it was good, it was, re-, you know, I'm like, this is, this w- it was probably a really good comic, but I was kind of like, I expect a really good comic for Brew Baker, and so therefore it was good and you know what i mean like and and I no no totally you're like you know kind of, if, yeah. if i was if i was comparing this to anyone else's comic i would say this is great yes. because i expect so much from this particular person it's you know i expect more from them therefore i'm grading on a curve yeah yeah and uh so and be- and because that just it also is that unfortunate but the very last note is sometimes the one that stays stronger with you so, oh, that, that's very funny you say that For, firstly because I actually don't have the problem with the scene that you do mm-hmm. uh, because I am reading it as whoever has called to, whoever is behind this plot knows exactly where she is and they have orchestrated things so that of course there are people there at that very time like the idea that it actually is a trap, right? Like it's a it's a very deliberate trap, right? And it's not a coincidence, quote unquote. It's you know very purposeful. They are there at that time. 
I'm fine with that. And but what I was going to say is the very the very last note of the book mm. I loved, which is the Nick Fury esque reveal. Mm. That she has a stealth suit line, and then she jumps out the window. Yes, because that's that's the point where it crosses over from James Bond to Nick Fury. Mm. And I love that it's the last page, mm. and I love that it's just like, oh, that's right. You thought it was, you know, book X. It's actually book Y. And and I love that. I love that really, really last minute. You know, I'll be. It's that's actually a good point, Graham. That's also probably part of why I was underwhelmed. Because honestly, maybe it was paying attention to the promotional material, but I sort of went into the book expecting it to be book Y, then it was book X, and then at the end it shifts back to book Y, and I realized I really wanted to read book X. You know, like, there's mm. a way in which, for me, there was... I don't remember where it was. It was some early scene that I was like, oh, holy shit, like, of course, Brubaker's, you know, it reminded me uh, of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And I'm like, all oh, right, well, of course, Brubaker's read, you know, Lacar. Yeah, of, of course, yeah. Right. But what's really interesting is, I think he does... Either he or Epting, and in that most of the cues are visual, it might be Epting, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, I... I kind of refuse to believe that Brubaker didn't call for it in some way. Right. There are really obvious visual cues. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very specific things all throughout the comic. Yeah, I mean... I so, mean, like, when you flash back and you've got... Is it is it X-14? Is that the, his name? The mm-hmm. Bond stand-in? The Bond surrogate? Yes. The scene on the second page of the comic mm-hmm. where he's walking... The panel where he's walking down the stairs mm-hmm. and then the first panel on the third page where he's beside the car... Yes. ...are so amazingly bought. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 so, how do I put it? The fact that, the fact that you've got Bond on that, the fact that Epstein, like, his... The work on this weirdly reminded me of both... Um, Modesty Blaze, but also Paul Galassi's work on Master of Kung Fu. You know, like I, I, and the fact that Velvet herself has that streak of white. Oh, she, she's the Contessa. From, yeah, Contessa Valentina she, yeah. from Nick yeah. Fury. So, so there's a way in which I'm kind of thinking that that as it goes on, if Brubaker it goes for it, and it, visually it looks like he's going to go for it. He's going to do Bond. He's going to do Lacar. He's going to you know, he's going to jam in Sandbaggers and Nick Fury and the man from Uncle and and make and just try and make it all work, I guess, you know, in a way that is sort of um, if he carries it off, it'll be really, really fantastic. But oh, no, exactly. And you've also got like the X operatives. And isn't there like Secret Agent X5 or am I completely making that up? Is that not a thing? It, you know, I'm sure that it is, but I'm just I'm blocking on it because, of course, I keep thinking of Machine Man. It's probably you talking about. It. <laughs> wow, that would be great if all of a sudden, like they have Inspector Gadget style arms, and they just like <laughs> that would that would be great. <laughs> I called them X fourteen. I don't know why you didn't see it coming. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I just I I I really liked the first issue of Velvet. I, it's I, part of it is that I like spy stories, but I'm not like a massive spy story fan. Mm-hmm. I can simultaneously get most of the references, right. and you know congratulate myself as a reader and being like oh I know what that is but I'm not so familiar with the genre that I have the problem that you do where I'm like you know I, I thought it was going to be X and it's Y and it's, you know it's not jibing with what I want and therefore 
I feel disappointed because I wanted this other thing. Well, and and uh, that's a good point. And I mean, I really am being unfair because it is it's a huge comic for three dollars and fifty cents, and it looks gorgeous. And there's a ton of bang for the buck. Um, it's definitely a comic that I recommend people pick up. But but it's also one of those where it was you know for me it's like. I've got I've and this could just be sometimes I've got those weeks where I just have qualifiers attached to everything that I feel you know what I mean oh, like, I, I I'm like that all the time I, I think of so many comics I've read and I'm being like this is no good and then I'll, for some reason I'll cause to reread them and I'm like wait I was I was clearly in a bad mood because this is a fine comic yeah yeah so I think that actually Velvet is strong I just there's part of me where it's like. I feel like it's like talking about it with you now. I'm like, it sounds like Brubaker might be trying to be sort of bet the house, so to speak. He's like going to go all the way and mix all those types of spy things together. And for me, sadly, I was like, I think I really wanted to read his Lacar. You know, it's like yeah. I really still I wanted to. I, I I figured I would be seeing more stealth suits based on previews and things. And and when it turned out to be like. You know, guys double crossing the double crossers within their double crossings and all standing around in offices speculating on one another. I was like, this might work for me. This might, with Brubaker doing it, I think this might really work for me. So, well, who knows where it will go? Yeah, that's true. And that's very, very true. Yeah, it could zig back onto that same ground. It could, it could continue to mix a lot of those things together. Although I think those things honestly are very volatile. Like you've got to be very careful. I feel that that, it is. I I totally agree. And I think that's partly why I'm so excited about this in a way that I'm not about Fatal. Because I have much more uh, interest and affinity in with the spy genre than I do with horror. Mm, I'm just not really a horror reader. Right. At all, right. uh, and so the, I feel like he does something really similar in Fatal, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I'm not really that interested, you know. And it's good. Not, it's it's nothing to do with the quality of the book because the book is, is a really good book, but the subject matter is just not, of no interest to me. Whereas for Velvet, the idea that he is going to play with all these various tropes that and it could go so horribly wrong. Yeah, is and, and it is specifically that it could go so horribly wrong. Right, is what makes me so interested because it's like, oh, but if he pulls this off. Right, like I like this is a great highlighter act. If he pulls us off, this could be great. Yeah, that's that's true. Unfortunately, those last three pages kind of made me go, Maya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe he won. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Which is really unfair. And then, uh, wait, b- before we yes. go off this very quickly, I want to say uh, we called out Jordi Belair's colors in Pretty Deadly. Uh, Elizabeth Brightweiser did the colors in Velvet, and again, it's an amazingly colored book. Yeah, it is gorgeous. Is really she she does some great. really lovely color work in this book. Yeah, and perfectly suited for Epstein. I think that Epstein is a little bit of a challenge, uh, coloring wise. Because I think there's something about his style of illustration that needs sort of, I'm tempted to say kind of like flatter colors, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's, he's got a really weird line that if you color it badly, mm-hmm. it can really, for me, deaden his line. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and and it's, so it's really hard to find a, find the the right... I think spectrum to to make his stuff really to make it pop, but not not make it you know either washed out or just get you know um, 
it just it, you can't use you can't use too bright a palette. You can't use too subdued a palette. You've really got to find a really interesting area to kind of to ground it, but also to to make it just subtly sort of come out. And I think she she did she did a tremendous job on that. It was it was a great looking book, honestly. Um, and for that matter, I'm going to say that uh, I thought that. Sex Criminals issue two, I liked a ton more than I liked issue one, and and the color flatting by Christopher Sabella for uh, Zdarsky's art, I thought was it was really strong in the first issue. It, it seems stronger to me in the second. I think maybe it's just because that beautiful lemon yellow cover like ends up that 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 color really does end up in the book itself, and I just really like it. So, Zdarsky's mm-hmm. um, art is for me the star of, of Sex Criminals. Yeah, considerably, but in large part because of his colors. I think his colors are are amazing. His color work in this book is really, really good. Mm, interesting. Yeah, his color work is fantastic. Um, and again, he plays with. Uh, I don't want to say flatness versus texture, mm-hmm. but but you know what I mean. Like his, his, when you look at his flashbacks, for example, right. Uh, there is more use of flat color than mm-hmm. there is in the, you know, contemporary part of the story, which I guess is the two characters talking after they both found out they can freeze time, and then in the I don't know post-contemporary part, the the framing sequence. Right. There, again, there it's a different color treatment, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really nice, really subtle, but it lets you know exactly where you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Which I I think. Um, is tremendously helpful in a book like this, and of course the the sort of um, the orgasmic time stopping color blur treatment I think is done. You it's know. just lovely, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous treatment of of the idea. Yeah, exactly, and 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 really works to carry off a component that um, that otherwise, of course, would be really really hard to pull off. I think in a static medium. You know, yeah. so yeah, no. This issue just—I don't know. I'm I'm a little torn because in some ways I thought it worked a lot better, like a lot, lot better. Um, it was, and it was like undeniably funny. There's just parts where I ended up just laughing aloud. Like it was the. I think if my complaints about the first issue were that the glibness was that the the fractions essential glibness can can work against the emotional ties that he's trying to build in the story. In this one I think it sort of felt like it at least worked a little bit better because I feel that the um, the male the male lead is a more is a very glib character, you know what I mean? So some of the li- some of the lines that pop in there are um, really really funny and even occasionally douchey in a way that that I believe the character is supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What's What's funny is that I I find this issue more glib and more distractingly glib. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it is because the character's supposed to be. And so what I appreciated more was the you know, I can't remember the name of either of these characters, which is going to completely bug the fuck out of me. It's his name. It's is John, John and Susie. Yeah, yeah John and, and Susie. And her name is uh, Susie, right? When Susie, I feel that Susie uh, pokes at his glibness. Mm-hmm. Uh, which really worked for me as a reader. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wish that someone had been there to do that for her in the previous issue. Mm-hmm. I feel that this issue, there's more of a sense that he is an unreliable nar- uh, narrator, in part because he, he is so vulnerable that he's not, he's giving the edited highlights of his story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, it's it's not even subject, it's text. Yes. In, in the story, that, he, that he's not telling her the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel that I wish we'd had someone in the previous issue to be a counterpoint to Susie telling her version of events. Yes. If that makes sense. Like, I, I think that would have really added to it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, it's one of those things where I think as the narrative goes on and pays off, it's going to, it will probably, you know, work out. Because I do think that there are, hmm, but but we'll see. Like I have a sneaking suspicion, although I could be wrong, that that fraction is the glibness of this character is part of their uh while it's part of their appeal, I think it's supposed to also perhaps suggest the ultimate like there's something wrong with the character. You know? I mean Yeah, I, I'm I there's there's two things in this in this issue that made me uh uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which sounds like a weird way of putting it. One is, I just I have such a problem with the idea that like there is the sex police who are coming after these two characters right. who can operate within this. That, for some reason, stretches the conceit too far for me. And I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I'm honestly just like oh, okay, I can buy that these two can stop, stop time by fucking, right. but there's these like three others who can come and arrest them? What the fuck? Yeah. No, I... Like I don't know why that breaks it for me, but it really did. Like seeing those three coming towards them, I found that really weirdly. Like, oh, I'm. I guess I'm not as bored as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing was, and I don't know why this is, the scene where Susie is looking up the porn star on the internet. Yes, I know exactly. And, yeah, and makes a joke about her uncle like abusing her mm-hmm. and then there's the stop shaming me I'm a real person thing from the internet right I that was super awkward oh yeah oh yeah it's it becomes I, 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 um, I'm not sure I'm not sure like why it's I, I don't know if it's awkward because it feels very much like Fraction is stepping in as an author and being like okay my character would say this but you know guys I'm really sex positive so you know I don't have this feeling at all or or if there's or even like within the story that well, are we just meant to believe that like uh, the internet or other forces can intrude on Susie's narrative, and if so, why hasn't that happened before? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it was a really odd scene, mm-hmm. um, and I, yeah, I, I have I have real problems with the fraction couldn't just leave it as Susie is being a dick, right? Yeah, no, I think that was that was. Um I also had problems with that scene, and I also had the ways that the scene sort of... Because, of course, the person complains, and then is more or less put in their place, and that's yeah, it's, kind it's of the last word it's on it. It's literally closed down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's closed down at a very specific point as well. Yeah. Just because I'm a sex worker, you don't get to shame me or insult me or insist I come from a background of molestation or abuse. And even if I did, mm-hmm. is the last line she gets, mm-hmm. or it gets, 
whatever, which is super. I don't know. It, it's it's one of those. Hey, I'm you know I'm totally cool with this, but you know. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah, I, 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 that part really, like, weirdly creeped me out. Mm-hmm. It felt like Fraction was trying to show that he was super cool, mm-hmm. but and then, like, took it back. Yeah, no, I think that was my problem with it, is, is kind of that framing of, I mean, unless you sort of sit there and go, well, you know... I, I I have I had a lot of problems with it. It's honestly, it's part of my problem that I have with sex criminals overall, which is kind of like, perhaps unsurprisingly, for a dude who published a book called Erotic Vampire Bank Heist, which has like, uh, hardcore porn, I guess, in it, you know, and people doing it, and a lot of scenes of people doing it, is is that there's a weird kind of like. The thing about sex criminals is is that there's kind of a thing about like it's it, it it insists that it's reactionary, but it is in fact conservative. Which I you know on the one hand I think is more I'm more or less okay with, but there's a little way in which it's like oh we're talking about sex and these characters are doing sex, and I think it's oh, yeah, no, yeah there's this, there's this weird like aren't we transgressive right. Exactly. And they're super not transgressive. You know what I mean? It really feels far less than that. That that it's kind of like, there's tons and tons and tons of sex jokes in Sex Criminals number two, a lot of which are really funny. But how much of it is really... You know what I mean? It's not especially sex positive. I think it, it's it's. I don't know. It's, it's it's a so far as a series that's kind of about the fear of sex. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of this idea of like, and and that is that thing. My feeling in the first issue, where the whole like, you know, oh hey, you know, sex can be sort of an isolating, alienating experience, was sped through so quickly as it, as if it's very much like that's just accepted. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of like, well, of course. Like, we can just cover that really quickly and then just move on. Because that's, you know, everybody feels that way about sex, right? You know? Oh, well, yeah, which is, echoed in, which is echoed in this issue, where when you have uh, John talk about, oh, is it? it's something along the lines of, like, orgasm is the only time he's not scared of sex or isn't right. thinking about sex or something like that. Yeah. Like, that alone mm-hmm. was, what is it? Most of all, I didn't know people wanted to have sex because it meant you got to stop thinking about having sex for a few minutes. Right. Right. Exactly. And there's like, these things are just dropped in. You're kind of like, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that, I think that he's going to split the difference. I do think ultimately he's come up with a way. And, and this is this is something that you see in other places and uh, maybe an erotic vampire bank heist as well, where it tends being that male sexuality is kind of fucked up and female sexuality is actually okay. You know what I mean? And there's something that's ma- that is a little bit of the pandering in that and a little bit of the, oh, okay, and so therefore kind of like you can't, you can't you can't nail me for objectifying women, you know, because I'm pointing out how bad objectifying women is, you know, and any number of other things. But ultimately, just for me, is is I was just kind of this weird thing of like, yeah, I think we're two issues in, and the idea of sex as something to be roundly mocked is is pretty well established. The idea that it's something um, to be that you know. 
celebrated is it gets it gets into a lot more hand ringy state like really 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 super quickly I think you know uh, do, wait do you think anything in this comic has actually been celebratory of sex yet because because I I don't like I I really don't I think it wants to be but I don't think it's actually got there yet I, it well and I think I think that may be I think that may be for the end I think but you know there is yeah, that, that may be the yeah. Although Jeff, this is an ongoing series. Oh God! Right? How is that going to fucking work? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, it's possible the NS is an ongoing series with the expectation of it was going to get cancelled. <laughs> I, I think so, or just kind of like it's it's sort of the new marketing strategy, I guess, in that sense. Because there are a lot of people, you know, like two years ago, Hibbs was telling me like, "Hey, I don't, I don't want." miniseries, I want ongoing series that I can take the time to handsell, you know? And it may have been that, that that finally sunk in, and so people are like, yeah, we are going to be in this for the long haul. I mean, because it did help. It helped Saga a lot, and, you know, but honestly, if they really did sell out of all, fi- you know, if all 50, the fact that they sold 56,000 issues of Sex Criminals or whatever, if they can continue to maneuver those kinds of numbers... You know, then I then I would think it would be behoove them to uh, try and keep going. A way to keep going, yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like at that yeah. point, the way the marketplace is set up, they're probably actually seeing money from fifty six thousand copies. What I'm super curious about is, and I know that you know market attrition is what happens, and sales are going to drop, and yada yada. Right. I can't help but feel that there's a core fan base for a book like Sex Criminals or Velvet mm-hmm. who if you got the first issue chances are you're going to stick around mm-hmm. because it's not something that is so mainstream or even so widely known mm-hmm. that will have a lot of drop in traffic uh... I, I, I could be entirely wrong because I think you know I think then about Pretty Deadly which I was super curious about and I'm not sure if I got the second issue based on the first just because I was like I wanted to like this and I didn't Right. So maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe you, you get people who are super excited, and then it just doesn't work for them. Right. So wait, you're saying you weren't sure if there was going to be attrition? In other words, you think if people yeah, who I, are in for issue one are going to be in for the haul? Yes, yes. And then I immediately contradicted myself by being like, but then again, you get situations like pretty deadly where you right. want to be in for the long haul, and then the work doesn't work for you. Right. So, and and you're saying that just to make sure, like, as the difference between an ongoing or a mini, you mean, or... Uh, not even, not even in that. Just in the sense of like, if you sold, for example, Velvet sold out of its fifty-seven thousand print run. Right. You know, is there a significant reason for the second issue of Velvet to get orders under like fifty-four thousand? Yes, there is, because of course the sellouts were strictly to the retailers. That just means that their images selling out its print run, right? No, no, I, I know, but right. I. Uh, yeah. So that I, that I, means yeah. that due to various other investments or ideas or or a, a retailer, like normally you get a situation where a retailer would be super conservative with their orders, right? But if you get a right situation, which I'm not paying attention to, but if Pretty Deadly was set up uh, to be returnable if you ordered it at the levels of you know Saga or whatever. Yeah, I'm super curious as to what that that deal is because I remember seeing something along the lines of you know, uh, you know you had to order at X percent of Walking Dead or something exactly yeah. yeah so so when you get that into that situation like that 
you know, then you get retailers that are like, well, it's a good year. Saga did great for me. There's a lot more people checking out these individual issues. Like, you know, and in theory, I want this to work well. You know, so you order, you know, in in what would have been like much lower numbers two or three years ago are probably much higher numbers because of the amount of money generally that have have moved into retailers' hands over the last couple of years. Uh, but but you know, but you can only go that far with it. You know what I mean? So it's like if you don't if you don't move a lot of those first issues, you have to start cutting back your issues really hard. You know what I mean? And then it's and and there's the fact that most of these are being pushed by the inevitable trade. So you know, it really does depend. It, the 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 getting of the situation with Saga or Walking Dead, where it's like. You know the the numbers are consistent, and then they actually bump up. You know, at the beginning of new arcs, because people jump from the jump from the trades to the individual issues because they're they're enjoying the ride so much. You know, that's happening more, but it's it's still far from an exact science. You know, so I I wish I wish you were right, but I think there is a very good chance that a lot of these numbers could, you know drop real i mean you know i don't they'll be lucky if they don't have that second issue drop that you used to see from regular books in the mainstream you know yeah i'm 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 super super curious to see what what the numbers are going to do in this because yeah i i just I'm thinking of a nice, happy, hopeful world where the majority of people who came for the first issue do come back for the second issue. And that's a bit innocent. (laughs) Right. Right. Because it is. Sometimes it doesn't work. Now, there's a a very good chance, like you said, you know, uh, Pretty Deadly could be in a much better place by issue three than it is in issue one, or it could be in a much more predictable place. You know, it's just, it's a very hard way to thrash that out. Not everyone's going to want to stick around for that. Uh, what people might do is they checked out this first issue and went, eh, I got to remember to look for the trade when it comes out, you know, and see how it turned out then, you know. Like, if nothing else, that the riot is so uneven from, based on this issue, that maybe I'll just see, like, maybe you should see if it all gets pulled out of the fire after the first trade. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'll see. I mean, you know, just the fact that these books are launching in the 40 and 50 thousands is a really, really, really potentially great sign for the marketplace, you know? Um, it just, unfortunately, the, the thing is is that that's got to be a situation where the... where those where those investments actually pay out for the retailers, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and again, there are situations where the in order to do that, the book also has to be good enough for retail... For, for readers to want to come back issue after issue too, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it's enough number of things. Like I said, I I thought the, these three books were. Um, I was really thrilled that basically, like when I went to the store this week, it was like, oh yeah, these are these are my top purchases. They're all from Image. I ended up having a little bit of extra cash, so I I picked up a few Dark Horse books that I didn't read, but it was it was very very painless to sort of overlook. Marvel and DC books. Not that I'm actually actively avoiding DC per se, but it could happen anytime soon. Lord knows. Um, so, <laughs> hey, can I do my uh, my traditional uh, bitching about the DC collected editions, people? Please. So I got a comp of the first hardcover collection of Justice League of America. 
right? Interesting. What issues do you think are collected within that first collection? Of the Justice League of America? Please tell me. Yeah. It's not issues zero and then one through six or something, is it? No, 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 no. It's issues one through seven. The uh-huh. problem with this is issues six and seven are chapters, I believe, three and five, respectively, of Trinity War. Oh, you're kidding me. Really? They're, they're, they're not collected with any context about any other chapter of that story. Oh, man, that is not good. That is not good. Why didn't they just go for a five-issue collection? I don't get it. I have no idea. Is it because yeah, as a hardcover they needed it would have been too skimpy page count-wise to really justify a price point or something? Or I have no idea. No idea wow. at all. I mean, bear in mind, the Justice League of America, for the first five issues, was a 40-page book because there was the backup as well. Right, right. Oh, yeah, so it should have been more than enough. Did they... Did they not include the backups, or did they? The, ba- the backups are in there as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it's a super weird and super fucking stupid collection. Right. Because And here's the thing. It's not even as if they just reprinted the the Trinity War issues with no editing, because the last page of, the, of issue 7 says to be continued in Trinity War. <laughs> so, like... They've, they've, they clearly know that they're not finishing the storyline, but there's nothing to say like, okay, this is actually chapter three, and this is what's happened so far. I mean, that would still be terrible, mm-hmm. but it would be better than literally just putting the issue in with no context whatsoever. Wow. And then the next issue has had like an issue of story in between. Again, no context. So the, the first issue ends with, like issue six, ends with a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. That is not picked up in issue seven, because you know, in terms of Trinity War, there was a comic in between. Sure, sure, that technically resolved it. Yeah, that's terrible. That is really, yeah, isn't that really, really bad. Yeah, I was, I was uh, surprised. Is not the right word because I wasn't really surprised. It was one of those they've not have they? Yes, they have. Right. right. Moments, but yeah, I mean, that's just that's fucking amateurish. Yeah. Yeah, that is not good. And I do feel like there is things like that that Superman Fortress of Solitude thing that that suggested to me that the people it the people behind DC collections are being a little more um uh, uh what's the word? haphazard in the way that they're assembling materials. Cuz yeah. you know, it's like, "Hey, here's a, you know, in in the case of that Fortress of Solitude issue, they had the Superman annual where he's like a gladiator he's basically Steve Reeves in space and then it is not it, you know there's none of the issues before it it doesn't wrap everything up it builds to the big I am Superman Spartacus and then it and then it's like to be continued and then it picks up with some other story that's in mid-media res and I'm just like guys you can't what you know this is how the hell did you guys do this like did you just like you know is Put, click on the Fortress of Solitude tag in your collection, and then just pick six issues at random. Like, what happened? So yeah, it, it, you just—I mean, here's the thing. I would, I would almost be okay if they did that if they had some context to start and the end. Yes, you know what I mean, like this issue was part seven of twelve, right? And up until this point, this had happened, and then afterwards they had a page going, and this is how that plot resolved. Exactly, exactly. Which is, I assume, how you would have wanted it handled. In in this Justice well, it, League of America it, case, right? If they were well, going it, to include it, it, yeah. In this case, I wouldn't have included it. Like, if right. it was up to me, I just would have had the first five issues, which is a fucking storyline in and of itself. Yes, it's. I mean, literally, what you have in this collection now is a storyline, complete storyline, 
Right. And then two issues of an unconnected storyline that are not complete. Right. Yeah, that is that is not the smart way to do it. So, do you know, is Trinity War being collected as a separate trade, and then the individual yeah, issues are popping up in the in the trades of the respective issues as well? Yeah. I, I don't know if they have announced it, but mm-hmm. definitely that's what they've done, for example, in, in the Green Lantern collections. Mm. Uh, they did Green Lantern. There was a, an entire hardcover collection for the... Oh God! What was it called? Rise of the Third Army storyline. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's got all the chapters of the crossover. Mm-hmm. And then there is separately a Green Lantern collection that has the Green Lantern chapters, uh, as well as other material. Man, that is just—I don't know. It's kind of like, I guess that's how you have to handle it. But that just seems like a bad way to handle it. Oh, it's, even, yeah, it's ridiculous. <clears throat> also, in, uh, I got from DC to, uh, this week, I got the Batman Death of the Family collection, mm-hmm. which is just the Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder issues. Right. And the uh, companion collection, which is called the Joker Death of the Family, which is all the crossover issues and the final chapter of the Snyder Capullo story. Here's the thing, that it all the way they've actually put that together, it actually makes sense. I mean, that sort of makes sense because to me, if you did the Joker death of the family, and it's all the other crossover issues, but it doesn't have the conclusion, you'd be kind of like, well, that's kind of bullshit. Well, know? that's just it, and, and as it is, like the way it's built is so you get all the God, I think you get all the Batman and Robin issues, and then all the Nightwing issues, and then all the Batgirl issues, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But all of them, all of those crossover storylines, end with the sidekick being captured and the Joker being there with his platter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you remember the first, the the opening of the last part of this Snyder Capullo story is Batman being captured and being presented with the platter. Mm-hmm. So like it actually almost it makes sense as much as a collection like that can make sense. And you're like, okay, you know, do this, and then you're flashing back to when you got someone else, and then you're flashing back to when you got someone else, and here's the resolution of all of what he did with all of them. Right. As it is, those are some wildly inconsistent crossovers. Oh yeah. Oh. Wildly yeah. inconsistent crossovers. Yeah, that's that's what I heard. Um... Uh, it makes for a fascinating read. <laughs> Yeah, I can. I can only imagine, Graham. Um, so, is there anything else that struck you? I mean, was there good material in it, or do you think people? Oh, there's, just there's actually. By? There's mm-hmm. a bunch of interesting stuff going on in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, and I read them at the time, but I'd actually forgotten how much I enjoyed the Anishanti Catwoman issues, mm. uh, which is basically Anishanti through Catwoman. Saying you know, I have no time for your your Joker bullshit. Right, right. Uh, and actually, ends up with Catwoman being like, "Yeah, whatever. You could you could do whatever you want with Batman. This is completely adolescent bullshit." <laughs> and walking away. <laughs> um, you know, the the Batman and Robin issues are really good. And actually, something that's really nice about the collection is it has as its final issue not the Snyder Capullo issue but the Batman and Robin epilogue. Ah, see, that's what I thought you were going to say, was that they were yeah. going to throw that in there. So. Yeah, they have that as the final thing. So it actually ends with the uh, the surprisingly sweet epilogue where it's the dreams of all the characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it ends with Batman and Robin sitting down being like, let's do this every night. Which, you know, thankfully misses the 
hideously depressing Nets issue of Batman and Robin yes. where it's like, and then Robin died. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I, uh, mm, well, death of the family. It's, but but it's, what's really interesting is, like, the Green Lantern, for example, splitting the Green Lantern issues up like they have, or splitting the Batman issues up like they have, makes sense in the collection. You can read the collections, and you can be like, okay, maybe I'm missing individual chapters, but there's a through line of this narrative plot that makes sense. Right. Whereas the Justice League issues, that's not the case at all. Yeah. You're literally like, there's two fucking random issues at the back of this. Right. I don't know what happens in between. Right. You know, which is, yeah, it's funny how that sort of thing that was, in some ways, the very... Like, I remember that 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 so totally worked when I was a kid and it's individual issues. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh my god, I missed an issue? What? And it's in another title? Huh? Like, stupid Avengers Defenders War? You know. But- sure, but you're, but you're like, you know, this, and, like, this comic as a whole, I have to go and get another comic. Whereas when right. you have it in a collection, you're like, but there's lots of other comics in here and you couldn't be bothered to put the other yeah, comics Yeah, exactly. In. Why didn't you just jam it in there? Or at least tell me where I can get it because that's another thing that just tends to be completely crazily overlooked, I think, by today's comics, you know, for for various reasons that I both understand and also think are ridiculous. But Yeah, yeah. Um, very interesting. Very interesting, Graham. Uh, I... If you're going to complain about DC, I think it's probably right that I... Well, hopefully it's right. I sort of wanted to talk a little bit about the... Because I know people were just dying this week to be like, I wonder what Jeff thought of the cross-managed one-shot that popped up in Shonen Jump Weekly. They probably didn't. They probably had correctly assumed that I had sort of stopped... uh, I'd fallen heavily behind on my weekly Shonen Jump reading. Like, heavily behind. Um... But I I adored CrossManage, which you probably don't remember, Graham, but is ran for a couple of months in Shonen Jump Weekly uh, Digital as a lacrosse manga, you know, and it was very much it. How do I put it? It started. It's it. It has kind of that sort of very. And let me put in the caveats. Shonen Jump means that the the stories are basically four boys. You know what I mean? They're like the yeah, they're yeah. kids manga but definitely with the strong male focus. So even when you get um romantic comedies which they've tried throwing into the digital versions here and actually uh whatever Nisekoi um which has been running forever in the stamp magazine is uh, you know a romantic comedy, it seems to very rapidly kind of devolve into um, basically like it, it always, to me, it always seems like it always ends up being a harem comedy where it's like, oh, here's this one guy and he's got this like, he's romantically attracted to this one woman, but there's these two other women who are so crazy about him that they're going to make his life you know, it's difficult. Like, they're going to get in the way because they just think that he is, like, the most crazily awesome person. And then they're going to have two sisters, and then those sisters are going to think that he's horrible, but then they're going to fall in love with him. And so it rapidly turns into a narcissistic fantasy by about, I don't know, chapter 40 or so. Um, I really liked Cross Manage because it looked like it was going to... Uh, avoid that. Like, instead of 
instead of having all the female characters be variations on oh, the coach is so handsome, I'm in love with him. Oh, the coach is so sensitive, I'm in love with him. Oh, the coach is so humorous, I'm secretly in love with him. That it was very much like the coach is strongly drawn to this one girl who's, you know, very much a, like, I don't know, The basically the gist of Cross Vantage, he's a guy who was a promising soccer star who blew out his knee or foot, or basically because of an injury, he... He, he's washed up. So he's in a high school. His entire dreams of everything he's wanted to be is gone. And he has no passion for anything anymore. He meets, he basically gets recruited to be the coach for the girls lacrosse team by a clumsy female student who is terrible at lacrosse, but loves it so much. And she basically sort of reawakens not just his, you know, his passion, but his passion for passion, almost, if you know what I mean. It's a very typical sort of manga thing. So he's attracted to her, she, but she's clearly a goof and a klutz. Um, and I'm like, this is so, this was like so in my wheelhouse. I'm like, this is a romantic comedy. I will gladly read like 800 pages of it. So, of course, in true Shonen Jump fashion, it pretty much got shit canned after, I don't know, two collections, three collections. So they were going to have... You've been very quiet. Did you die, or is the connection... No, I'm still, still, I'm, okay. I'm still here. I'm listening. Just checking, just checking, because there are times <laughs> where it's like, I'll say all this stuff for like 13 minutes, and then you'll be like, Jeff? So, um... No, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. had to ask, when you said it's been shit do you mean the series has been cancelled, or that approach has disappeared? Mm, sorry. It, it, uh, what happened was the series got shit canned from Shonen Jump Weekly. I uh, The digital version, there's a possibility that they started carrying it in the digital version and they discontinued it because it got discontinued in the Japanese comic as well. Like, it just wasn't popular enough. Mm. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not actually in the know. I should, it's the sort of thing that a quick, I think that's probably the case because what happened was they turned around and came back with this one shot like five or six months later and they promised it at the end it was going to be like oh hey come back for this one shot um, that talks about what happened over the summer at lacrosse training camp and I was kind of like oh I guess this is going to be like maybe this is going to be like the sort of you know like the finale that that you know people weren't able to have as far as the romantic characters you know sure um but it basically turned out being exactly well the the ending was super 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 slight i think at, at least if you're like reading it for teenage high school romance but also unfortunately for the whole one shot it really um, played up like, oh yeah, remember those three characters who might have been interested in the, the lead character, the coach? They're definitely interested in her now. And, oh hey, like, you know, it just so turns out that, like, one of the, you know, pervy manipulative characters scheduled the tra- lacrosse training session at the swimming pool so that, you know, all the female characters would have to wear swimsuits, you know? And it was kind of like, I was like, ah, okay, I guess I'm, I'm glad that this book is gone. As far as I know, this is probably this guy's like, you know, he and the editors were like, okay, we want to do this book. How can we 
how what do we need to do to make this book succeed again we've got a we've got a one shot that we've got a chance at restarting things i know let's have a lot more hijinks and swimsuits and and up the you know basically the romantic everybody loves this one character but he's you know really in love with this other character but he's too awkward and because it's japanese culture no one's ever going to be able to tell anyone off forever so it's passive aggressive romantic hijinks until the end of time <laughs> oh dear yeah exactly oh dear yeah yeah not not what i wanted to read i was like ah so so for those people wondering about the cross manage one shot uh as delighted as I was to see some of the cartooning and, and actually the characters uh, again, um, I also found myself being like wildly like let down. So I, I'm I'm very sorry to hear that. I always want to see good romantic comedies and comics. You know, I do too, and it's so rare. I mean, the thing I think the right. thing that's actually rough is is that it's sort of. Um, like I, to go back to what we've been talking about a couple of weeks ago, I complained about that uh, season opener of New Girl uh, a lot. I thought that it was pretty bad, but I I think that for me they've done actually a pretty good job of, well at least making it funny. I'm not sure if it's like completely consistent with the characters. And there's a few sort of bones that I would have to pick, but overall one of the things that I'm really happy with is that they are for the most part with the romance between Nick and Jess they they're trying to make it an actual viable relationship and get humor out of just what weirdos the two of them are even yeah, in a relationship you know what i mean it's not turning it into relationship drama it's just like these two are trying to be committed but by the way they're both kind of ridiculous yeah they're both ridiculous like they're both you know, like the character, the, uh, because we're we don't have a real TV and we're watching stuff on Hulu, and therefore it's like I'm sure several weeks old. We just watched the the episode the other night where, uh, you know, Nick comes into some money and is instantly terrible at it, and of course, yes. <laughs> and I thought that, and I thought that that was perfect. Not only was it completely consistent with the character, but it also gave a. I mean, in that sense, even though they did it in the most ab- spectacularly absurd kind of way, um, I was like, "This is actually the closest it's come," you know, to being like I know people for whom that's an actual relationship issue. You know what I mean? Like that's much more of a relationship issue than. And so the way they a the way they I thought they handled it was very goofy and fun, but also the fact that they're committed to making them a couple, but that those that they are as a they're both two completely insane absurd characters. I kind I like that more than the oh now we're going to bring back Nick's secret love you know kind yeah of exactly thing. That, how can he keep this secret is it going to doom the relationship right like all that all that sort of thing is very uh, it's very played out and you never believe it mm-hmm. it's the other thing uh, I don't know you probably don't watch Castle right the the ABC crime drama I do not know I, I say drama <laughs> <laughs> I like crime procedural there has to be like another word where it's like okay it's not actually a comedy but it's not really dramatic either right like the the, the crime going through the motions show um <laughs> Well, here's like I really like Bones and I really like Castle. Both of them are kind of shitty shows, and both of them are pretty much the same show. Right. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you've got the 
wacky person who's been called in to assist a professional in solving crimes, they get romantically involved. Both shows recently have done an assen- have done the same thing, which is essentially these two characters are in love and they're committed. We have to put something in it in their way, right, to stop them like sorting it out. Yeah. Um, and what's been funny is. Like, I just don't believe it, but I'm really cynical. I'm like, well, obviously they're doing this. But watching Kate's response, because Kate's exactly the same. Like, I'm really cynical when it comes to this. But Kate's watching it, she's like, I can't wait until they just finish this off. I just get them together. Like, there's absolutely no jeopardy at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You really are just like, you're, you're going through the motions to try and keep these characters apart. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that that's a weird romance as such. I, As a person who actually reads a lot of... Um, I, I feel like part of the reason why I read comics, why I really got into comics, had to do with romance, you know? Um, I, I, I see... I, it's It's apparently just an incredibly destructive thing to sort of throw in there, because... Once it starts, it's kind of the only thing that people care about. But then it, and then it becomes super hard to make drama out of it because once you do have characters get together, that super powerful engine that has been throwing, you know, moving the series forward is basically done. And so it seems like the mistake that I think a lot of people make, and it may not even be a mistake, is like, okay, now we've got to throw in the artificial complications so that they're not together any longer or that they're at odds again. But it's worse now because they both really know how they care for one another. And it's supposed to yank on your heartstrings. Uh, You know, and this is kind of interesting because... um, uh, Edie and I uh, just were watching a show that I should have mentioned when we were talking about Pretty Deadly. Um, finally, 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 we got around to watching Deadwood, and we're just in the process of watching the opening to season two. But that first season is great. I mean, it's really a good... I take it you didn't see it because it was not going to be like your thing, Graham, right? Uh, I didn't see it because it was HBO. Oh, okay. Well, it's funny because when you were kind of talking about like, oh, the West and everyone's bastard. Oh, no, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Yeah, that is pretty much I, – I'm describing Deadwood. No, I, I know Deadwood is uh, incredibly highly regarded though. Yeah, it's great. And it does actually help. One of the things that does help is that it's – that there are good characters in it and you come to root for those good characters so incredibly much. I mean, one of the, I really was expecting Deadwood to be just the evil bastard show, and it's not, thank goodness. The evil bastard stuff has all the best lines in a lot of ways, but you really do end up caring for... Like Brad Dereef, for example, who plays the doctor in there, is... I thought he would just be some sort of scary, crazy Brad Dereef-like character... But he's just he's just fucking awesome, you know. As a character who just cares about people because he cares about people, um, and is frustrated in all the ways that that life in this frontier town makes that so incredibly difficult. Incredibly great. So they do a great job of lining up the shit heel characters and lining up the good characters, and then giving the shit heel characters like moments that really make you invested in them. And then giving the good characters like stuff to really root about. Anyway, all of which I was going to say is the 
romance in the first season of Deadwood was amazing to me because when it started out, it's I was like, oh, this looks so perfunctory like it's thrown like you you're not even sure it's going to happen but you're you think if it is going to happen it's only going to happen because the suits required that there be a romance in there and then by the end it is turned into such a really strong like well done like little western slice of pride and prejudice or whatever where it's just like the characters are so constrained and you're like that that just having that one person open the door for the other person is like so loaded with sexual tension you know you're like this is fantastic so the first season of deadwood awesome for people who are like jeff what's a good comic book first season of deadwood great the fact that it's not a comic sort of tends to and you've probably saw it eight years ago but Graham honestly <laughs> if you watch it you might really like it and I was really surprised by it. now all that being said the second season they immediately take the romance and they throw five solid obstacles in it and they were obstacles that were you could sort of tell like they had up their sleeves so it doesn't really feel like a cheat but when it hits you're like ah shit you know, wait. You're like, oh shit! In a, I am not appreciating this, or in a, this is drama for a couple that I would not, rather not see drama for. I think the the latter. Like, I'm like, no, I wanted the, those couple because, especially in the case of the other thing that's great is having watched three seasons of Justified to go back and watch Timothy Oliphant and be like, oh, okay, this is where they got all that from. You know, it was kind of like, let's put them in a hat. You know, the idea that, that people very savvily looked at Deadwood and were like, you know, some of my favorite parts of that show were Timothy Oliphant wearing a cowboy hat and walking angrily somewhere. Me too. Let's see if we can we can make that show again, you know, and with like 90% more angry Timothy Oliphant walking, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, so oh, I can't hear Timothy Elephant without thinking Timothy Elephant. And every single time you're talking about him walking angrily with a cowboy hat, I'm honestly imagining this like cartoonish elephant walking towards you, like um, his trunk swinging threateningly. Yes, cowboy hat. I think tiny, it's gra- I, I, tiny little cowboy hat. Once you head. said it, once you said it, I'm like, I can even see that drawing. I, it's like I'm sure you've got a different reference for who's drawing. Oh uh, no, me, but, but no, but I, it's not even a drawing. Like for me, it's the Muppet Show. <laughs> Like it's like Sesame Street, right? Well, it wants us to do a justified thing. It's Timothy Elephant. There you go. Uh, yeah, and he's angry, and then like uh, Grover can ask him why he's so angry, yes. and he could say that he's it's a justifiable anger. Yes, well, because and, uh, see, it, and it would be about the county's math problem. Yeah, it it, it writes itself. You know, it it's like yeah, it's the problem with math. Everyone's everyone's doing math, and I don't understand it. And then they could explain to him how to do math. And then, and then, I don't know. I assume that then they would, the show would be kicked off the air for actually doing the things that we suggested. Um, yeah, okay, well, this has gone horribly right. Deadwood, great to watch. Romantic stuff, it's great, but, you know, it's kind of like, when does it work? You know, like, I sort of feel it wor- like... It works, I think it works when you have people who are actually committed to it. Like, yes. committed to the bit. Yeah. Uh, something that we've not talked about any kind of surprises me that we've not because it's been going on for so long is the quasi-official DC superheroes can't have successful relationships right uh, rule which is fucking nuts to me yeah 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 it it is is astoundingly uh, facile yeah and it is is offensive to 
the people who are reading the comics. Yeah. Because it's so simplistic in the, well, they have to be unhappy because otherwise why would they put on their costumes and risk their lives? It's like, really? Because, you know, no one does that for a living right now. I it just, uh, I don't know. I, I find, you know, I find... Well, yes. sorry, no, 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 no. I, I, I should let you go with that, actually, and then I'll circle back well, around. Well, what I was going to say is I think it, it speaks to the uh, – I'm going to be blunt, Jeff – emotional retardedness of so many people <laughs> making comics. Yes, right. Uh, that they can't conceive of – it's like the whole, uh, you know, there's no drama in having a married Spider-Man right. thing. It's like you, there are legitimate reasons to say Spider-Man should be single based upon, like, the character's original DNA and, you know, hard luck hero, he has to have an unhappy life, blah, 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 blah. But translating that into he has to be divorced, otherwise you can't have drama. Right. Is, is, it's crazy to me. It's like, how can anyone who actually has a real life think that? Well, um, I, okay, here's my thing, is... And part of why I'm having trouble engaging with it is I basically feel like the explanation, when it, whether it was offered at DC or whether it was offered at Marvel, was simply bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, I just, like, there's a lot of ways in which I'm loath to engage with it because I just don't believe it. It just that. seems like an excuse. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like an excuse. To me, it's honestly just the fact of they. If you get your characters involved uh, romantically with someone, it makes it that much harder to establish um, either reestablish that relationship or if the relationship goes a completely different way um, in the inevitable like TV or movie projects. You know what I mean? I really feel that that, to me, that's the whole reason of like, you know what? We went through a whole nightmare back in the 90s with Superman and uh, Lois and Clark, the TV show. It's it's just not worth bothering. You know, it's really hard for us to have a Spider-Man book where he is, you know, like a teenager uh, and then you pick up a book where he's like married and, he, and he's married. You know what I mean? Like it's easier to blur the lines if it's like, oh, he's in high school and in this one he's in some sort of weird stage of doing his graduate studies you know it's kind of like oh okay so maybe there's like five or six years in there but i okay but how does that how does that jive with in one book he's in high school in another book he's an entirely different kid in high school who by the way is black and in the third book he's dr octopus right no i know and i'm not saying that i'm not saying that any of those were are like you know it it I, I could be entirely wrong. It could be that those that that those situations are so entirely different that from whatever media angle officially gets worked up there that it's just ridiculousness. But I do feel with the DC guys that the DC people are like, hey, we want to have these characters to go basically to pop in plug and play style into video games or TV shows or movies, and they're going to be recognizable as the same dudes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, fucking Batwoman? Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know, believe me. I mean, it's stupid. It's completely stupid. Or, or for that matter, the demarrying of Aquaman. Right. Which is which is now official. The, oh, did they, they finally they have, come right out? They have not officially come out and said, and I want to say it was Bob Harris, but it might have been Dan DiDio. Someone officially said that the only married superhero at DC Comics is Animal Man. 
so they have, they have like officially unmarried Aquaman. Right. Right. Which is just I mean that's just silly, but but I also think that they're kind of like, yeah, but we want to be able I mean the other thing that is completely absurd about my theory and could be completely wrong is I would say that apart from the uh, Green Arrow TV show, the only thing that has been, you know, the biggest success, cross-media success that DC has had, I- I'm going to say is the Injustice video game, which is completely out of continuity even for the new 52. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, uh, but I mean, think about it. Uh, the Arrow TV show is out of continuity for the new 52. Uh, Smallville was nowhere fucking near continuity when it was running. Right. Uh, you know, it's... I don't know. I I... But I think while, that, that while was... I would not be surprised if what you're saying is, is the case. Yes, it, is, it doesn't mean it's any less stupid. Yeah, yeah. The the idea that there is a rule in place that characters cannot have successful love lives for whatever reason. Yeah, for whatever is, reason is ridiculous. Is, yeah, yeah. It's it's just ridiculous. It's it's. It's upsettingly ridiculous. Well, but to me, it, it is the once once you get... I had that thing where once it was pretty much acknowledged that, that, that Stan Lee's The Illusion of Change was really going to be the status quo across the board. Because even when, back when he was insisting on that in the 70s, people weren't necessarily following that, you know? Um, so I kind of feel like there's a way in which I don't... Like, they're just making... They're trying to make all these choices to keep these things streamlined, you know? Uh, And I think that that's a huge mistake, because the weird part is we don't want... We don't... I don't think comic fans want streamlined comics. I think we want complicated comics, you know? And the whole thing that everyone's taught, you know, and I'm certainly one of those, where I'm like, this is not a good introduction to a quote-unquote new comic reader. Honestly, my new thinking is, is that there is no way to have a good introduction to a quote new comic book reader unless you've got a new comic book character, you know? And by new, that 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 probably runs from anywhere from three to five years. But, but you know, I think... Most of the other characters, I really feel like when you pick it up, I just don't, I just, I don't think, I think with the, again, we've talked about this. My theory is the success of something like The Walking Dead is people can walk in and go, where do I start? And you can point them to that section of the shelf. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, In large part because I am super curious about and this is a specific comic, but I'm super curious about the success of the Loki comic that's about to start at uh-huh. Mark. Uh, in part because I know multiple people who do not read comics, but who are so in love with Loki mm-hmm. from the movies. Right. That they are, they are, first of all, aware this comic exists in the first place, mm-hmm. unlike any other comic on the planet. Yes. But also, they want to buy it mm-hmm. because they see it as enough of a clean slate and familiar enough to the one from the, the movies. And so if that works, mm-hmm. God knows if it will. But if that works, does that not mean that that theoretically is workable for other characters? Uh, it 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 might. I mean, and uh, so are you saying that, therefore, that people are essentially right that by having... Because my thing is, is the advantage to Loki is, is that he's got... 
a mostly blank slate. You know what I mean? Like, even if someone picked up the first Loki book and was kind of like, and got, and really enjoyed it, maybe there were other references in the script to, like, stuff in the back, like the stuff that happened in the Journey into Mystery or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. in a perfect oh, no, that, world... That, that, yeah, that's a relatively, you can go back, like, five years and you pretty much have exactly. all of the quote-unquote current Loki. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, but, but why can't you do that for Superman? Why can't you do that for... Batman. Essentially, just have a clean slate for those characters. Well, I think that's what the idea behind the New 52 was. I think that's what the idea behind the Earth-1 stuff was. You know, I think they keep trying to build that in there, but then there's that unfortunate tendency that they have, um, which is like, uh, sort of, where's that outside limit? You know, And in the case of someone like Batwoman, where it's like, oh, we don't want that character to be married. I mean, that's which, let's face it, that is such a dumb decision for Batwoman, you know? Like, ugh, uh, anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, it's stunningly bad. Yeah, I mean, like, just apart from the fact, yeah, there's just many ways in which uh, But it's what I'm fascinated about is they don't seem to be splitting them up either. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, so where exactly, like, where's the line? So going back to Aquaman, right. Aquaman is allowed to be in a long-term monogamous relationship with Mira. Right. As long as they're not married. Right. Yeah, I mean, that just sounds ridiculous. But is is the line just that if there's no marriage certificate, it's easier to break them up? I think so. I think think the idea is is that it, as they sort of talked about with the Spider-Man stuff, marriage is really, really hard to undo. It's really... It's it's a real hand wringing situation, you know. Um, you've gotta you've gotta restart a universe to make to make it kind of to to give anyone any sort of or you have the devil come in and do all that bizarre bullshit. I I don't know. I I think I think that there's just marriage is a societal line that we don't want to cross. You know what I mean? It's honestly, I think it, it it's a lot to do with that idea of Superman killing too. Frankly, you know. Like, mm. where it's just like... So what you're saying is, if spoilers for the Justice League books for everyone who's not reading them but is reading them in trade, if a small character jumps inside Superman's brain, steps on the wrong point, and makes Superman get a divorce, that's okay. <laughs> well, is it? I don't know. I mean, that's it. Maybe I'm wrong in comparing the two. You know, because I think actually a lot of people would be, you know... Sp- Superman getting a divorce is is probably a really so Superman getting a divorce is a headline on CNN. Right, exactly, but not probably in the way that you necessarily want that headline. You know? Oh no, no, it's it's a uh, can nobody make it work if even the best fictional character in the world can right. make exactly, it work. exactly, <laughs> yeah. Okay, but that's Superman, right? Like, so one of the things that I found really interesting this year was. Uh, People freaked the fuck out about Man of Steel because he killed Zod. Right. Right? No one blinks when in Iron Man he kills dudes all the time. Right. Or like Captain America. So there's obviously a double standard. So here's the thing. Could Iron Man get divorced? I don't see why not. Like, I really don't see why not. Right. Right. No, I, I don't see why not either. Because there is ways in which they're sort of... I mean, he's kind of built into that character. Well, yeah, he's I mean, one of the like, things that is interesting. He mm-hmm. mistakes and he's lovable. Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. Um, you know, he's 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 a lovable divorcee. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's something where you can almost expect that. Um, yeah, you can almost expect it to, to be him to be like, yeah, I, I this is actually my third divorce. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, I never be like, oh, Tony. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I don't think that that's uh, like I think they'd be able to get away with that, but. Who knows? I think maybe on the other hand they'd be smart not to. I don't know. Speaking of Iron Man, because I feel like I'm just really kind of throwing shit in all directions without being especially sensible about it. Um, what did throw it, Jeff? What did you think of? Well, I feel like I have been. I hopefully I'm maneuvering us out of here. Iron Man, the big Tony Stark re- wrap up reveal thing. What did you think? Did you have an opinion? Were you following I, that I, stuff? I kind of love it. Mm-hmm. I really kind of love it in part because i was so vehemently against everything that the story seemed to be doing exactly exactly like so against it that it was one of those things where i don't know if i actually love it like as a real thing or i love it because it is such a graceful way of getting out of this thing that i had such problems with right exactly i I can't tell if i was just like oh my god that's great he's adopted or thank god he's adopted that that wasn't (laughs) Like, they went right calling him to be, like, cyborg genius Iron Man. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked, and uh, I kind of loved the swerve. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it's one of those things where it's, like, it's not something that I followed at all, but I saw the little news bit about the swerve, and I'm like, oh, that's a really goddamn good swerve. And it's done in precisely the ways that I, I think, would have wanted it done, which is, like, it... it you know, in terms of like, you think it's going one way, you're like, oh fuck, you know, the the people involved, they're all talking about it like it's all building in one direction. You know, it's it seemed to me like a a really decent piece of misdirect. But again, maybe part of that is I'm really relieved. I really think they would have made a huge mistake to to make it be Tony Stark. You know, yeah. Well, part of it was like when the story was building, and when at least when it was first announced, mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of reaction of. Why would you even do this? Yeah. Like, this is a terrible... This is so obviously a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Why would you even do this? Right. And so I think there really is a sense of, oh, thank God, you guys were you guys tricked us. Right. Right. In a way that, like, if it was a uh, an origin... Like, if it was a retcon that you were in favor of. Right. Exactly. Or, or, or that you, even that you were neutral about. Right. I think you might be pissed off by swear, but I think you're so grateful by this. <laughs> right. Like, Everybody's like, 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 oh, whatever. Thanks. So Mephisto came in? Oh, that's so great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, see, I, I, I really liked it. I, I thought it was... A, and I also, I kind of love... I love I love a couple of things about it. I love that it's... um. It's kind of shameless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Like, it's very shameless. It's kind of a wonderful shameless way of getting attention for the series as well. To all yeah. of a sudden go, Tony Stark's adopted everyone. Right. And he's got a brother who is probably going to be trouble down the line because he's fucking got the same name as the evil Iron Man of the future. Yeah. Um, but also, I kind of love that it does open up a story. Like, opens up a whole new story. Because yes. it's all of a sudden you have the, well, who's his parents? Right. Right, and exactly. does care? Like, mm-hmm. is he going to try and find his parents? Right. Like, that, that's that really interesting. Yeah. No, I, I think in that sense, it really is. It does do a nice job of, of, I mean, especially because of where it was going. It does. It opens up a, it opens up a lot more ground for exploration. It does actually draw attention to the character again. I think it, you know, 
it's it's kind of shameless, but shameless in the right way, which is again in that weird like it feel like this is the sort of thing that we you know keep sort of going to the the infinitely small hairs that we are like uh ever splitting in these uh podcasts, where it's like, oh sure, it's crappy comics, but it's crappy comics done right, or oh yeah, it's shameless marketing, but it's shameless marketing done right, you know, and it's like I wish I were I'm I'm not following it closely enough and I just also feel like I'm just dumb enough today that I'm not really going to be able to sit down with you you know, I'm kind of. If you have a way of breaking down why that's like a good marketing swerve, as opposed to, and I don't even know what kind of other marketing thing that we might have that would be a bad. Well, is swerve. it? But is it not a good marketing swerve because it has all of the elements of uh, the drama and the everything you know is wrong, right? That gets the headlines, but it is in no way destructive. It is entirely additive. Right. Yeah, that's because, kind of the way that I Because think. ultimately, there's no, you're not losing anything by making Tony be adopted. Yes. Well, you're, because you're at, no, at, no point did, no, at no point did anyone ever really honestly say, what I love about Iron Man is that he is the blood relative of a character we've never seen. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you're, you're not actually losing anything by doing this, but you are opening up a lot and at the same time doing so in such a way that you're getting the publicity for we're killing Iron Man without fucking killing Iron Man. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think so. I think I, like, I, think I, I, I wish that mm-hmm. more things that got pub- uh, mainstream publicity were additive to a character. Right. Like this. But. But they're not. I mean, this I can't think of anything else that has been in the longest time additive to a character in this way. Well, I mean, that that could be because we're reductive. I'm sure that there are marketing people who would insist that DC and Wonder, uh, Superman and Wonder Woman entering a relationship is additive, right? Uh, I, yeah, but I think you can actually make a case that it's not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think it's destructive to the core mythos of Superman in that it removes Lois Lane's love interest, and it's kind of reductive and destructive to Wonder Woman because it reduces her to love interest. See, that's of course the thing that bugs me. I honestly, I agree with you in both cases, but I'm, but I can also kind of see of like, well, but maybe it's, you know, and no, no, I, I can totally see the argument of it's an interesting story. Let's explore it. But right. I think when you promote it as status quo change. It's yeah. not. Like, it's as much status quo change as Batman is dead. Right. Because, because you just know that Superman and Wonder Woman are not going to be in a relationship forever. Hmm. I, I guess. Like, how can they be? I don't know, man. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll Especially break Especially when you have, on the other hand, right. like, DC, DC boss is saying, you, our characters kind of have happy love lives. Uh, right. Well, that's true. I suppose they they I don't know. You're right. I for myself I'm much more upset about the the about Wonder Woman the what reductive it does to Woman's Yeah, book. exactly. I just find that that's kind of what it does with yeah, her book and her mythos, but also but, just her her value as a character. Well, that's just it. Here's the thing. You can swap out any character for Superman and is it as it it is as equally reductive to Wonder Woman. Yes, exactly. Exactly, and that's that's the point where you think someone would should have said, maybe we don't want to do this. Like maybe the, you know, days worth of headlines we get are not going is not going to be worth 
the the long term damage it does. Well, but, but, but hey, hey, it's DC. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is DC, right? That's, not that's only like did that, that like that, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's that's not the way they think. That's that's not the way things work here. Um, yeah. Um, bleh. So, oh, so, so, should I do my very quick rant about Agents of Shields, which I know oh, you're not? Shit, watching. I totally forgot about it. Yes, please, please. This is great. Okay, so people who do not watch, people or other people who do watch Agents of Shields, who are not Jeff, uh, will know that this week, as we're recording, uh, the fifth episode of the show was on. It was the one where Sky, the hacker from the undercover hacking group Rising Tide, uh, was a revealed to be still working with Rising Tide. Uh, B, you met her boyfriend, who was one of those information-should-be-free people. And C, the entire show was, uh, you know who are douches? Hacktivists. You know who's great? The government. Sure, they might do scary things, but they're doing it to save people's life. And you know all those people say information must be free? They're all lying idiots episode. And I swear to God, Jeff, I'm not even, like, being sarcastic. That was the plot of this week's episode. It's fucking appalling. I have never seen something that is so unashamedly apologetic for the status quo. Right. It was staggering, in part because... And I know that Joss Whedon isn't really involved in the show. Mm -hmm. He did the pilot, and then he just bailed. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's being run by other people. Right. But nonetheless, every Joss Whedon property before this has been about someone standing up to authority. Mm-hmm. Every single one. That's right. And now you have this thing, which is completely flipped. Is literally, hey, you guys, it's okay. We got this. I know we're doing some incredibly morally reprehensible things, but we're doing it for your own good. Right. Hush your mouth. See these guys who say that they're trying to, like, they're coming against us and say they're doing good stuff? They're not. We know what's best. Hush. And it was, I, I'm I'm genuinely surprised that I've not seen people losing their shit about this week's episode online. And the only reason I think they're not is that no one is watching anymore. Yeah, I think because it, it's it it was crazily offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so the plot was this: there is uh, an organization which is quite clearly Hydra, even though they're currently calling them Centipede. Um, who have worked out technology that like amps up people's superpowers if they have superpowers. Right. Uh, Shield has a watch list of everyone in the world who has superpowers. It has been hacked by Sky's ex-boyfriend, who has passed on the information to someone else. Right. Right. To get him, he's like, "No, information should be free. No, what? You guys are the bad guys. You, you're you're evil and spying on people." Uh, and Sky is all, no, you don't get it. They're saving everyone's life, man. I was wrong when I was. I thought information should be free. Some information shouldn't be free. Surveillance is a good thing. Then it turns out the information should be free, dude. Sold the information for a million dollars because he explains information should be free. But why should he have to lose out in that thing? Why shouldn't he make some of the money as well? Oh man! Wow. Yeah, seriously. Uh, it was just it's appalling mm-hmm. and it, it ends up with the hacker dude oh the other thing is the hacker dude who sold all the information right ends up coming around to what shield you're doing it's like you guys are pretty cool at the end <laughs> uh, it, it's it's fucking nuts it was 
amazingly offensive. It actually reminds me a lot of that awesome backup strip in the second volume of Zombo with, uh, you know, the rap oh, and the punk rockers. Yeah, yeah and Planetronics. <laughs> so good. Uh, I, yeah, it's very much like that. It's, it's, Jeff, it was a terrible, terrible thing. Well, now let me ask you, because one of the things that I reluctantly clicked Shit. Graham, can you hear me? I'm back now. (laughs) All of a sudden, I was talking, and I I was like, wait a minute, why is my um, mute light on? Which, of course, mutes whenever things drop, so... Uh, okay, we're just going to press on. I don't understand. It was so perfect for the first. I know, I know, I, I then it wasn't. Oh, who knows what happened? Who knows? Okay, all right. Well, let's just. Uh, press but forward. no, it it is. It's totally like the Planetronics thing. It, yes. It's but with no discernible sense of irony. Like the episode actually starts with them making a reference. The Shield guys making a reference to like you know we don't really kidnap people and keep them under surveillance and locked away, do we? And then Golson's like, well, for some people. It. We have to use hard methods, and you're like, "Holy shit!" They've just like made a joke out of like locking people away with no warrants. Yeah, exactly. Mid- in the middle of the episode, someone's uh, the the hacker guy makes a reference to, you know, so much for due process. And Sky actually says, "These people are saving lives. They don't need. They don't have time for due process." Oh God! Wow! Wow! That's I mean, crazy. I I I should not be surprised that the show made by the international company for a multinational corporation mm-hmm. is in favor of like authoritarian type yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. holy fucking crap. It was not even vaguely subtle. It was so amazingly Hey guys, don't trust Anonymous. You should trust the government. Right. Right. Exactly. Which is uns- like you said, it's sort of unsurprising. The two things that I do want to run through real quick are A, um my feeling this has actually always been a source of discomfort for me with Marvel over the last few years anyway, and especially Marvel films. Is there kinda of, I, mean, I don't know, I mean most of Hollywood's big films are way more pro military mm-hmm. over the last ten, twelve years, perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, you know, you just kind of look at it, but like stuff like Transformers and which is not a Marvel property, I know. But, you know, it's it's no, no, definitely no, I mean, part of the language shield, of Hollywood. Shields in general mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. like, the military-industrial complex is here for you, you guys. Yeah, and it's supposed to be awesome. And then at each stage of, you know, sort of, uh, with the exception of Thor, which sort of takes place outside of that, both Captain America and Iron Man are very heavily mired in the, you know, big government is good. Yes. Although, have you seen the trailer for the new Captain America film? And that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about, because one of the things that really struck me about that movie is right in the smack, uh, right in the middle of the trailer, is very much a kind of really strong, great, what I think of as traditional Captain America moment, where he's like, this is not freedom, this is fear. And I yes. was I was like, that is a stunning thing to see in the middle of a Marvel movie trailer, considering where they've been going for the last 10 years, and directly like a really weird flip-flop from this Agent of the S.H.I.E.L.D. episode. Yeah, that's just it. I saw the trailer today, and I was really like, wow, that's really interesting. I wonder if, A, they're going to do a flip on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, which some people have actually predicted. Some people have predicted it's going to end up as, like, the... Coulson's team versus S.H.I.E.L.D. before mm-hmm. the end of the first season. Right. Um, 
Or if it's going to, if the movie's just going to be okay, we got rid of the bad apples and shields. Now we're back to the good authoritarian, like totalitarian regime. Right. Thumbs up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I don't really know. I'll be very fascinated in it. It definitely seemed to me like part of me is like, well, they can't just open that can of worms and then not resolve it. But I'm like, oh, <laughs> Jeff, yes, they can. exactly. Like if there's one thing that I've learned from Marvel movies over the last decade or most Hollywood big films is they have absolutely no problem opening any can of worms to draw you in and then just being like, eh, uh, yeah. Hope you weren't paying attention. Right. <laughs> exactly. Hey, ta- talking about mighty Marvel critique, uh, self-critique, before we get off, off the phone, uh, did you see the thing I posted on Twitter for Marvel Now What? Oh, today? no. No, no. Okay, so Marvel Now What is their, their comedy book this week. Yes. And it is, um, it's patchy at best, shall we say. Yes. But for the first two-page strip, it is spectacular because it's um, Elliot Kalan from The Daily Show. Uh-huh. Uh, literally doing all of the internet's favorite Marvel Now jokes in a fucking Marvel book. <laughs> really? The old Marvel prints is a nearly infinite number of X-Men comics, but Marvel Now prints a nearly infinite amount of Avengers comics. Evolution! <laughs> Marvel now also introduces exciting all-new original superheroes of the 21st century, and they are Red Cable, Spider-Storm, Shi-Shang-Chi, and Thing Jr. <laughs> Further, Marvel now has constructed a bleeding-edge future tech laboratory 3.0, but with but one mission, to make Marvel more now. And it's got Mr. Fantastic saying, this computer uses over 7 million terabytes of power to randomly select characters for new team books. And then Ant-Man goes, and this one harnesses nuclear fission to come up with adjectives for titles. And the book is The Avenging Avengers. <laughs> Behold, Marvel, another Marvel Now innovation, this inconspicuous graphic opens the Marvel Now app, and it's the AR thing. Right. The Marvel Now app provides additional bonus content to well worth the time taken to download the app, scan this page, check your signal when the scan doesn't work, re-download the app, find better lighting. <laughs> Marvel Now, like all advanced life forms, is best understood when seen in light of the primitive Marvel that came before it. Gaze upon the follies of the past and their perfection in the present. Marvel then is Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, and Spider-Man saying, I've got to stop the Green Goblin before he kills the woman I love. Then Marvel now is all superheroes running towards the back of a panel, and you can't see anything else. And Captain Marvel's going, we've got to stop Super Ego, the living multiverse, before he swallows all of reality. While Iron Man, Iron Fist goes, where's the villain? Luke Cage goes, I can't see him. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like, for two pages, he's just like, I'm just, let's fuck it. Right. Just, and I love that it's actually in a Marvel book. Yeah, 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 yeah. And pushed to the front. Well, and it is. It's one of those things that actually was was kind of great back in the old days of uh, Forbish Man. You know, not yeah, Brad Heck. No, oh, oh no, it, it is totally not Brad Heck. And it's funny because the rest of the book is actually really, uh, really light by comparison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, you know, the superheroines defeat Doctor Doom but then Thor comes in and he gets all the credits and the punchline is the superheroes are like we're gonna eat ice cream like you know that's, that's appalling you know <laughs> that is appalling yeah, Jesus oh, that, I swear to god that really is a, a real strip of the thing um, and to have those you know that next to the uh, Ellie Callan thing mm-hmm. it's just kind of like 
wow, this is a crazily schizophrenic book. Right, right. Well, it's kind of interesting to me. I mean, it's I'm I'm glad they threw the two pages in there. Although there's part of me that's like, it always seemed like that used to be how Marvel. This this is where I've got how to Marvel be just, would address criticism yeah, by exactly. being like, "You're right, hey you guys, <laughs> oh, you guys, we're more in on this joke than you are." You know what I mean? Which, and which is kind of makes it worse in a way, doesn't it? It it's totally like, does. Well, you exactly. know, you. Can, you know you guys are being dicks. Exactly. That, that's great. Thanks. Now, now, I, now I know that for sure. Great. Well, and I think that's that's been my problem for for me over the last few years, I think, is kind of the, the after after enough Tom Brevoort, you know, uh, Twitter comments or form spring entries or enough comments on Twitter or blog from Steve Wacker, I'm just like, oh, okay, forget it. Like the joke, like there is no one else for the joke to be on but me if I continue to basically support this, you know? Because it's just like, sure, this is the way the situation is and that's how they know it and they're just going to mock you about it. So it's, so at that point, it, it, it used to be something that I was very fond of, that idea of like, oh, they're also in, in on the joke kind of thing. And it was the way that old old Marvel used to be able to sort of balance themselves kind of perfectly. But now I'm sort of that, that that's, that's kind of gone for me, I think. I just think that even now, like when I saw Now What, I was like, okay, this is going to be... I, I figured it would have been a lose-lose for me either way. Because as funny as The Daily Show jokes guys jokes are Elliot Kahn Kane Callan Callan thank you there's still a way in which I'm like yeah they I, but they would also kind of sting for me you know what I mean like I think that's that would also be my my problem is is I'm sitting here complaining I've complained about these problems for 11 months and I'm glad that somebody else figured out a way to get a couple hundred bucks and a credit out of doing it you know but it also doesn't kind of change things, I guess. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Fie on it, Graham McMillan. Fie. Jeff, Jeff, come up with something cheery before we stop the podcast. I don't come know. On. I we, know. We I can't, just, we I'm can't just, end on that one. I know. I've been pooping on things and pooping and pooping. Um, I like the last two volumes of Yakutate Japan. There's a really good poop joke in that. I know that you don't like the book. It's been, I, well, I want to say it's been less sexist than the stuff that set you off on, but there's but the occasional... probably not. <laughs> yeah, there's the occasional pin-up illustration that is just hideous, but um, but it really does. They have a great scene where in order to... Um, in order to try and place in this uh, bread-making competition, they actually do a... Uh, a bread sculpture of Rodin's The Thinker, but because they don't have time to prepare it, they actually like put, they basically bake bread around a person posing as Rodin's Thinker. So there's actually a person baked into bread, like sitting there, and then of course they have to poop. And it's the dumbest joke in the world, and I laughed. And I laughed, Graham. I just laughed. It's so sad. So I'm, I'm glad you laughed. So, tried- yeah, exactly. Yes? I'm trying to think of something like upbeat to to end the show on. Come on, <laughs> think of something upbeat that's not like crazy comics. I don't know. Like seriously, there's Graham. There's good stuff that you've covered in comics, right? I mean, part of me is like, <laughs> so do you do you think that if they do do the, the Agents of Shield swerve, you'll feel better about it? No, because it's a terrible show. Okay, so uh, I mean, I'll feel less like it is uh, brainwashing our nation's youth into. <laughs> Into thinking that rebellion is is totally uncool, man. Uh, but it's a terrible show. I mean, it's it. The dialogue is 
so horrifically on the nose, I cannot believe that at some point one of the actors didn't say, do I really have to say this shit? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's offensively badly written. Um, and also, as we said, uh, God, Clark Gregg, as his name, Clark Gregg, who plays Agent Coulson, mm-hmm. I feel has utterly checked out in that he had some charisma in the movies and he has absolutely none in the show. Mm. See, this is where you and I disagree. Is I never thought he had any charisma in the movies. I'm not saying I'm not saying he had lots, Jeff, but he had more than he has in the show. Wow. Well, that's kind of that is sad. So yeah, uh, maybe that's our upbeat. Maybe the upbeat thing is is that that really terrible sounding Bill and Ted's Adventure Halloween show got canceled. That's, oh yeah, yes, that the thing? yes, which which had the oh I've got to get the CBR headline because the CBR headline for that is hilariously terrible. Um, it is Universal Studios axes Bill and Ted show with gay comma mincing Superman. <laughs> Good job, good job, everyone involved in that one. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think that's that was probably worth throwing in there. You know what I mean? Like you've got to mention it's not the fact that the idea that Superman was gay was offensive; it's that it was an offensive gay stereotype. You they know could what I mean? just said like you know, if it was perhaps homophobic, but no, they were like, let's go for gay mincing Superman. Bill said show was shot because it's homophobic. No, 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 that's not going to make it. That's not going to get the clicks. Gay right. mincing Superman, however. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Game Superman, of course, is going to be a digital first series from Dude, DC. Dude, that, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be grateful and amazing if they just won't, took the wrong lesson for it, it, it and they're like, it hey, haven't seen Superman. It yes. has to be said, I read the uh, description of the show. Yes. Holy crap. Yeah. By the time George Takai showed up? Yes. Yeah, I was, oh, man, oh, <laughs> yeah, pe- people on the internet who listen to this podcast, if you've not read the description of the Bill and Ted's Halloween Adventure show that they do, find the description. Now that they've canceled it, of course, you won't be able to see it, but the description sounded terrible. Like, it, it was just terrible and awful, and kind of like those scary movies, or what, the, what, not just another summer movie ripoff type thing, except much worse. I don't know. I didn't see the, any of the other ones. Graham, here's an idea. I yeah. uh, Let's, because I really am, I, we're running a little late, but I feel like I've just been so unfocused and downbeat, clearly t- a life of prescription painkillers taken recreationally does not agree with me. But um, Halloween, how do you feel about it? Because this, this episode will be going up for uh, Halloween. No, you, that's not going to get me in a happier mood. I actually don't like Halloween. At all. You love Christmas, don't like Halloween. I, I have absolutely no uh, like emotional resonance with Halloween whatsoever, right. uh, and it's the point where like I care about it so little that at least like in workplaces where I've worked in the past and they've been like everyone dress up, I've kind of resented it. So like it's almost like my main emotional attachment to Halloween is resentment at the idea that I should have to dress up. Right. Well, that's great. I feel like. <laughs> Go with that. I'm like Graham McMillan. Tell me your five favorite people that you resent having to dress up as. Oh, can I tell you my favorite Halloween story, which I think I've told before Uh, Uh, about when I when I was a kid, Uh, when I was nine years old. uh, My friend Craig McAteer came over because he and I were going to go out trick or treating. Mm -hmm. Um, Except it wasn't called trick or treating, but then it was called galoshing. Galoshing. 
that's what it was called where I grew up. Um, wow. But he he had, he wanted to show off his party piece. It's 1984, right? Uh-huh. He is dressed as Optimus Prime from the Transformers. <laughs> his costume consists of this. Blue jeans, a cardboard box of Restorso that's painted red, and a green builder's hat. <laughs> right? Because, like, you know, we're nine, okay? Hey, I think that's great. Um, and he's like, no, 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 I've got to show you guys what I can do. I can break dance. He is like a nine-year-old Scottish kid. <laughs> break dancing has just started, like, coming over to Scotland. Yes. Okay? He's saying like, he's going to break dance. And so he does, like, the, you know, running back and forth like he's about to do the spinning on his back thing. He gets it back spin, forgets he's wearing a cardboard box. <laughs> makes it as far as like the edge of the cardboard box because cardboard box isn't spinning and he just goes thuds <laughs> ah, happy memories I was about to say no wonder why you hate Halloween I have to say everything about that is kind of like Halloween is the worst holiday ever but uh, that's my happiest Halloween memory I shit you not I, that is beautiful that is beautiful well I have to say that it is what about yourself are you dressing up uh, I usually, you know, this is the sad thing for people who don't know, listeners. My my birthday is Halloween, and um, usually no, I take you know because we said this last week. It, that's it, why everyone. That's why everyone's going to buy erotic vampire bank heist next Thursday. Yes, next Thursday is erotic vampire bank heist by day for people who are like I don't know into into the celebration of me. I guess um, <laughs> everyone help put a few me meager dollars into the elder estate pockets. Um, I. I actually, so I have fond memories of Halloween, never really so much with the dressing up. And sadly, the fact is, is like in thinking about it, the trick or treating, I don't remember at all, but I, I, I remember with crystal clarity the, the candy separating that came, comes afterwards. So clearly I was way more about the candy than dressing up. So. Wasn't everyone really as a kid? No, I think there are some. Pe- there are kids who are real. Well, it's really split. Like, for example, my three-year-old niece June is adorable, of course. And last year, she was so like Halloween was so great. For- the trick or treating was so exciting for her that she wanted to do it the next day. She couldn't understand why she couldn't basically go from door to door, knock on there and go trick-or-treat and just get candy like every day of the year. You know oh what I mean? Would not be great. They're like, wait, you, you guys have started doing this now? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, this is a thing. Okay, this is totally, this is such a good thing. We have to do this every day. But of course, that was totally about getting the candy. N- now, though, what was fantastic was her Wonder Woman costume came uh, and so her parents texted us the message, uh, the photo of her dressed up as Wonder Woman, and she looks so happy. And it's great because she's actually like she's got her hand. She knows she's got to have her hands on her hips, you know, like that's mm-hmm. kind of the Wonder Woman pose and stuff. So it's just it's awesome, you know. It's I'm not saying that anyone was going to mistake her for Wonder Woman anytime soon, but her joy at in it was so complete. You know, and so I think there are people where don't get me wrong. You know, five minutes after that first piece of candy hits the the trick or treat bucket, I'm sure it's all about the candy. But you, for- you have actually just reminded me of my second favorite Halloween memory, which isn't even Halloween because it happened the other night. We have um, <laughs> that's we how have- positive Halloween <laughs> ranks, ladies and gentlemen. All right, yes. Uh, uh, one of our neighbors has a kid who is 
four. Like she's just four. Right. Called Freya, and Freya is clearly just like been learning about Halloween this year. Mm-hmm. So Freya appears at her door with a blanket over her head, <laughs> pretending to be a ghost. Right. Uh huh. But she's four, and she someone has just said like, "Ghosts wear a blanket over their head and say boo." So literally, she's they're just standing there with like a red and just shouting at her voice, "Boo!" <laughs> over and over again, I, like and laughing. Like so, it's like a really loud boo, and then killing herself laughing, and then boo laugh, boo laugh for, the, for far too long, for long enough that all of us just cannot talk because we are laughing so much. Oh my god. And then she, later on, she's like, takes it off, and she's like, "So, what did you think I was?" <laughs> and we we're like, "A ghost," and she's like, "No." And we we're like, what, "What were you?" I was an owl under a blanket <laughs> pretending to be a ghost. Oh, perfect! Yes, yes. And I was like, "That's gonna that imagination is gonna take you far, my friend." Yeah, no kidding, right? Oh, that is so good. That is terrific. Well, okay. So, Graham, I was yes. going to ask you then, I was going to ask you your favorite Halloween costumes uh, for yourself. Uh, uh, I could only remember uh, a couple yeah. costumes I used to wear in college. Actually, in college, I did like the Halloween parties and I did dress up for them. I think that's like my one positive Halloween experience was, oh. was the, the four years in college. Um, let's see. I did John Lennon one year. Great. Uh, I did a transforming John Lennon. <laughs> I, I did uh, early sort of pre-rubber sole John Lennon with the peaked cap mm-hmm. uh, and then later on the night when I got too warm I let down my hair which at the time was very long I got out ridiculous sort of granny glasses and became like hippie <laughs> John Lennon <laughs> well done well um, done I did the world's most half-assed David Bowie as Aladdin Sane uh, which was spectacular for the fact that it was meant to be half-ass. Uh-huh. Like, I decided, like, two hours before the party that I was going to the party, and then was like, how could I make the worst outfit ever? I know. And it was literally me borrowing my roommate at the time's leggings, spray-painting them silver, then borrowing a friend's, like, feather boa-lined jacket. <laughs> uh, was I even wearing anything underneath the jacket? I can't remember. Getting a... Um, orange shag pile carpet and then cutting that into a wig and then painting a lightning bolt on the face. <laughs> Please, um, God, let there be so pictures that. of that there's somewhere. Bat, yeah. there, there is a bat costume oh, that God. I borrowed from a, my landlady for a party uh, because, again, it said I was going at the wrong time and her husband once wore it to a to party in New Orleans. Yes. And it is the most You've seen this photo, right? I have. I've seen the bat photo photo. It is... Yeah. 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 So there's that, which is um, amazingly revealing. Yes. It Very really is. to wear that. Woof. I have to say. Uh, I think that's it. Wow. Those are great. I think I had one where I was the Grim Reaper, and that was... And it, it involved... The fact that it just involved, like, my mom's bathrobe was... Says so much, <laughs> I think. But what I was going to do was, Graham, why don't you pick three to five uh, Halloween out potential outfits for me and I'll pick three or five potential Halloween outfits for you and then we'll okay. discuss it again. The, sh- <laughs> the Shaggy Man from Justice League. Nice. Um, Alan Moore. Oh, good. Yes. 
Um, and oh god, I'm trying to think of a third one. Oh, come on, this one. I was sure you were going to go with this one. <laughs> Don't get, you should tell me then, because you clearly have one in mind. Hello, Odin. I totally think I've got like an awesome like beard there. Just throw a patch on, and then like oh, some right. sort of I was crazy not even helmet. Vaguely thinking of Odin, I was going to go for like old man Wolverine or something. Oh yeah, I would also love to do that. I have to say, although that wouldn't really work with the beard. But there was a while there where my hair was getting bad. No, I, I remember. You had the most yeah. amazing Wolverine here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and sideburns. I totally that that was time where I was like, I might have been able to pull this off. Very well. Nice. Okay. Great. Um, my Halloween costume choices for you would have been Charlie Brown, uh, Dan DiDio, uh, <laughs> God, what, what were the other ones? Oh my God, you've actually thought about this in advance, haven't you? Not, not too much in advance. Like the Charlie Brown one I thought was kind of like, uh, like that's one I just actively want. I just want to see you dressed up as Charlie Brown. I think that's, that's not, that's, that supersedes like that sadly moves into the realm of bucket list wish you know what i mean like like if it turns out i get a terminal disease i have bad news for you that's going to be one of those things i'm going to ask for before i kick off is going to be like having you dress up as like charlie brown so um let's see god there was another one too i'm trying to think uh oh i did want you to dress up as one of the muppets but which one Oh, the guy who, like, bombs everything and then laughs? You know, Crazy Harry? Is that who that is? Oh, yes! Yeah, yeah. I think that he would... I think you would be... That would be terrific. Um, Let's see. I could probably go on for a while, sadly, because I'm just totally, like... I think dressing you up as Professor X would be hilarious um, because I feel like you would not appreciate it at all. Or, even better... (laughs) somehow finding blackmail material on you so that you had to dress up as Moira McTaggart, which would be even <laughs> funnier. <laughs> so, Oh, man. So, listeners, when this podcast goes live, there's still going to be a couple of days before Halloween. Yeah. Uh, on the Savage Critic website, in the comments, I think you should leave comments on who you want us to dress up as. Please all choose embarrassing ones for Jeff. Yes, please. Uh, I mean, keep in mind... I would like to. I would really, honestly, like to say that if we did it in the best one, we would like do it. But I don't think that. that I'm, yeah, that's not gonna that's, happen. Yeah, that's really not. But let's pretend that it will. So, um, yeah, go to the comments. Dress up choices would totally be absolutely fantastic because I know that there's. Hopefully, by the time I do show notes, I'll think of a few more for Graham because I'm like, ah, I'm just. There's somebody in a Dylan Horrocks comic that I keep thinking that you would make a great character out of too, and I can't. I can't think of it. Somebody from Hicksville, maybe, but I think that's because somebody in Hicksville dressed up as Charlie Brown, and so I'm just caught in like a in a brown loop. It's I think that's the technical term. So, okay, so yes, people, that is that is your mission. That and having yourselves a fantastic Halloween. Um, uh, if you feel like um, you know erotic vampire bank heist, it's not going anywhere. Still available for the Amazon Kindle. Uh, Thanks to um, the kind uh, reader who actually reviewed it on Amazon, that you actually have a, a review to sort of quasi base off of. They were, they didn't finish reading the book yet, but they gave a mid book review that I thought was quite nice. I'm hoping that that people read it, 
like it and actually say so on Amazon so that other people so that the so that the people who know of me don't feel like they're the only ones who have to buy this book because nobody else ever will basically is what I'm saying so <laughs> oh Jeff yeah so uh, I think that's it right Graham I think we should jump except it's going to be a skip week next week right so we'll be yeah, back because uh, uh, Jeff will be recovering from Halloween slash his birthday actually next week as we would record would be his birthday which exactly. is why we're actually skipping yeah uh, so everyone also in the comments leave Jeff happy birthday wishes oh, uh, can I just say that every year I forget that you and I have a birthday in the same month I do too isn't that weird I always forget that you're an October person <laughs> So, um, thank goodness I've got the little reminder thing that it's kind of like, hey, Graham McMillan's birthday is tomorrow. I'm like, really? (laughs) Is it? Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, uh, that is amazing, isn't it? And yet we're not even the same, we're not even the same astrological sign, are we? Because we're in... No, no, our star signs are significantly different. We should actually check whether Libras and Scorpios are supposed to do podcasts together, because for all we know, we're like... (laughs) causing a lot of trouble <laughs> that's probably why the internet's been cutting out the whole time it's not uh it's not the internet it's the our stars it's the stars it's in the stars yeah exactly oh jeff see we're we're fighting astrological like destiny here ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on that merry note graham bye perfect perfect <laughs>